The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. It'll be all right, Gail. It will be all right. The banner is not helping Howard. It's ruining him. It's turning more people against him. He doesn't care about that, but stand by and don't give in to them. I can't save him. He went in his own way. I can't save him. I have no power. I never had any power. Nobody's ever listened to me because nobody's ever respected me. I wasn't a ruler of the mob. I was its tool. If you don't give in, you'll save yourself and the banner. I never ran the banner. They did. The men in the street. It was their paper, not mine. There's nothing to save now. Oh, Gail, don't give in to them. Don't give in. Welcome, everyone. It is Thursday, December 2nd, 2021. I'm Bob Metz, and this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right-wing. It's Just Right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be on the heels of last week's broadcast featuring our discussion with Freedom Party leader Paul McKeever, I received this text message from Paul, a message that reflects our show opener today, taken from the 1949 movie The Fountainhead. Quote, In The Fountainhead, Gail Wynand owns a media empire. He thinks himself powerful. He thinks that with his newspapers, he creates public opinion. He discovers, ultimately, that he is powerless. His newspapers merely follow public opinion, reflect it rather than direct it. So it is with political parties. Hence, Ayn Rand's post-Goldwater statement that it's earlier than you think. Until a sufficient percentage of voters want freedom, no party for freedom will succeed. It starts not with the party, but with the voter. We are seeing this now with the Ford government using polling to determine COVID policy. End quote. And that, in a nutshell, is exactly the challenge and phenomenon that we'll be spotlighting today, right after our reminder that you can, and should, write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org. Hear us on WBCQ and on Channel 292 Shortwave. Follow and like us on your favorite podcast platform, and visit us at justrightmedia.org, where you can access all of the Just Right social media links, and our archive broadcast. As always, your financial support is appreciated and is what makes this show possible. Now, as advocates of individualism and individual freedom, during the 2021 Canadian federal election, we endorsed the People's Party of Canada, the PPC, under the leadership of Maxime Bernier. And now, with the June 2, 2022 provincial election pending in the province of Ontario, our endorsement has, of course, gone to the Freedom Party of Ontario under the leadership of Paul McKeever. Now, why Freedom Party? Well, to answer that question in a way rarely understood or appreciated, Paul McKeever joined us last week to discuss many of the persistently pursued, failed, and futile political strategies to which well-intentioned advocates of freedom continually succumb. And for those anxious or desperate to escape a given tyranny of the day, the idea of supporting a new and original political option is pretty much immediately dismissed. Instead, this group is focused on voting against a party in power and will generally choose to vote for any other party that appears to have a chance of winning an election. 
The fact that all of the parties in this electoral position are the same, ideologically and politically, merely offers an option of replacing one tyrant with another. Whether progressive, conservative, liberal, new democrat, green, and yes, even libertarian, all of these parties are driven by ideologies of the left, the political polarity that represents conditions of tyranny. Now, with Doug Ford's Progressive Conservative Party having visibly and undeniably embraced fascism, some members of that party, who don't want to get vaxxed or who want it to be voluntary, have been forced to sit as independents, with two new parties, the New Blue Party and the Ontario First Party, having been added to the roster of political options for Ontario Conservatives. Quote-unquote Conservatives. But who speaks for those who value freedom? Who speaks for those of us who aren't just fighting against the latest variant of tyranny? As Paul McKeever warned last week, one must identify the advocate of freedom, not just the opponent of tyranny. Winning elections by trading one tyrant for another may be a winning electoral strategy, but it's a losing freedom strategy. Victories of that nature eventually negate the need for having elections in the first place. Think about it. After all, every victory is just another step towards tyranny. Quote-unquote victory again. Resisting tyranny through protest and civil disobedience, while necessary, is not enough to defeat it. Nor do those methods of resistance have anything to do with politics or working towards a political solution. That's what we really focused on last week. But our focus must be turned towards that eternal vigilance required to endlessly fight for freedom on the political front, for only in this way can we ever hope to achieve it. And in so doing, tyranny simply ceases to exist and no longer needs to be resisted or fought. I hope you understand the meaning of that. In fighting for freedom, you don't have to fight against tyranny. If you establish freedom, tyranny ceases to exist. It's the opposite condition. So always fighting against tyranny and running to some other tyrannical source isn't going to solve the problem. Freedom is tyranny's only antidote. And as the only political party in Ontario that has always put freedom first, whereas the others have never done so, show me where, Freedom Party is also the only party I can morally or politically support. And I know you're asking, am I being self-serving in this regard, given that I'm the president of Freedom Party? You bet I am but no less than I was when we supported the PPC on the federal level, a party that I'm not organizationally involved with. So, political options for those who see themselves on the right, quote-unquote, got somewhat complicated and controversial back on November 5th, when Randy Hillier made the following announcement. And this war, this war, yes, we can see some of the enemy. We can see some of the enemy. But the enemy of big pharma, big corporate interests that are profiteering through these last 20 months, big government, public health, who are all profiteering at our expense. To win this battle, it only takes one thing, and that's for all of us to be honest, all of us to have this courage, the conviction, to speak truthfully and honestly. We're going to fight this politically as well. The purple wave is coming to Ontario. The Ontario purple wave gets launched very soon. So come and join us. Come and join us.
We want to fight for freedom, for justice, for democracy, for fairness. We have to fight this everywhere, but this is a cultural war, and how we win cultural wars is also at the ballot box. So join with me. Sign up the Ontario First Party paperwork. PPC Ontario and the Purple Wave is here and it will be on the ballot box and I'll be leading them for the June election in 2022. Let's do this for our sons, our daughters, our grandsons, our granddaughters. Let's do it and make sure that they have just as much freedom as when I was that little boy back in elementary school. And let's have a culture that respects our faith, our freedom, and our family. Thank you very much. Well, that certainly didn't go over well with many of those who see themselves fighting for freedom, or at least against <laughs> the, the lockdowns. This article appeared in the National Telegraph, written by Wyatt Claypool on November 12th. The headline read, Controlled opposition, quote-unquote, for the Doug Ford Ontario PC government, question mark. And the subheading reads, anti-lockdown voters in Ontario divided, question mark. Quote, last weekend, former PC MPP Randy Hillier announced he is currently attempting to form his own provincial political party despite the successful registration in early 2021 of Jim and Belinda Cariolis's new Blue Party of Ontario as a right-of-centre alternative to Doug Ford's Ontario PC party. During Hillier's speech, which unconventionally turned a previously scheduled prayer service at Nathan Phillips Square in Toronto into a partisan political announcement, Hillier was less than forthright with the crowd by stating he was bringing the Purple Wave to Ontario, seemingly suggesting his new venture was going to be affiliated with Maxime Bernier's People's Party of Canada even though he wasn't using People's Party or PPC Ontario as the name of his party. Bernier and his party spokesperson, Martin Mass, had previously confirmed to media in September that the PPC was not forming a provincial party in Ontario, and they instead had an informal alliance with the new Blue Party of Ontario. Jim Cariola spoke to the National Telegraph about this situation and explained that over the last two years, Randy found every excuse not to work with Belinda or me. He never gave Belinda any of his allotted time to ask the Ford PC government questions during question period, despite seldom showing up to Queen's Park, and he always chose to give it to a Liberal or a Green MPP and later on to Roman Baber. When we initially received the approval from Elections Ontario to use the new Blue Party of Ontario name, Randy made it very clear to me that he wasn't interested in ever joining. He refused to allow Belinda to speak at his first protest in front of Queen's Park and made sure I wasn't invited to his end the lockdown caucus when it formed. And the article continues by saying that more interesting and nuanced is the claim from Jim Cariolis that the Ford PC government made changes to Ontario's election laws as a gift to monetarily benefit Hillier and simultaneously the PCs to the exclusion of Belinda Cariolis. So there's a lot of tax money going behind these efforts, and that's probably why they're taking place where they are. And then under the subheading of Hillier missing in action in the Ontario legislature, it reads that a review of Hillier's voting record shows that Hillier has voted on just two pieces of legislation in the Ontario legislature since November 25, 2020. 
When it comes to the major pieces of legislation related to COVID-19 restrictions, Hillier seems to have skipped those debates and votes. Hillier did also not debate or vote against Bill 12, Mandatory COVID Vaccinations in the Education and Healthcare Sectors Act 2021, on October 21, 2021, or vote in favor of MPP Roman Baber's unanimous consent motion on October 5, 2021, in favor of Baber's private members' jobs and jab bill. Hillier only started his advocacy against the COVID-19 lockdown measures after Belinda Cariolis voted against Bill 195. And then under the heading, Hillier's Provocative Statements as Political Theater? Question mark. On April 1, 2021, on Twitter, Hillier compared the restrictions proposed to combat the supposed third wave of COVID-19 cases to Adolf Hitler's Nazi Third Reich. These and other provocative statements and behaviors by Hillier have propelled him from relative obscurity as the backbench MPP without any significant legislative or public policy accomplishments over his 14 years in elected office into someone with a public profile. Prior to his election as MPP in 2007, Hillier made headlines and catapulted himself into elected office, leading the Ontario Landowners Association. (laughs) I got a history with that one there. After gaining elected office, Hillier turned his back on the landowners he previously led and seldom spoke in favor of property rights that the landowners were advocating. Hillier referred to the landowners, who also advocate against the influence of the United Nations on local Ontario laws as including fringe elements and nut bars. Hillier further drifted away from his early days, claiming to be a libertarian with a moral conscience, quote-unquote, and helping crown Tim Hudak as PC leader into aligning himself with the progressive wing of the Ontario PC party. Hillier endorsed and campaigned for Christine Elliott over candidates Tanya Granick, Allen, and Doug Ford back when the latter was claiming to be a conservative. Jim explained to the National Telegraph the political differences between Belinda and himself and Hillier and his close associates, pointing out that Randy doesn't look out for his constituents and is not a principled conservative. In his 14 years of elected office, he's covered the entirety of the political spectrum with his opinions, from the right to the left and back again, all for his own benefit. In his career, Hillier has shown to be pro-choice, indifferent on the PCs, promoting a carbon tax, indifferent when ballot stuffing was occurring within the PC party. Whether all the above adds up to Hillier being the controlled opposition of Ford's PC party is up for debate. The National Telegraph reached out to MPP Randy Hillier's office with several questions related to this story and did not receive any response, And quote. Well, wow, I wonder why. Well, here's the really bad news. All officially registered political parties and mainstream candidates are controlled opposition. It's the official registrations themselves that control them because of the fascist and restrictive political rules that all political parties and candidates have to comply with. And that is why under Liberal leader Kathleen Wynne, Freedom Party members were not even legally allowed to associate with one another at Freedom Party fundraisers, and why we had our volunteer incomes legislatively cut to the bone, and other draconian and utterly undemocratic regulations we've had to live with since the very beginning of our involvement in the political process. I've devoted complete broadcasts of this show to the utterly unjust way Freedom Party has been treated by Elections Ontario in the past, even to the point of prohibiting one of our candidates from running, despite having met every regulation, criteria, and deadline required to qualify as a candidate in his riding. 
All of this is on the record, both on Freedom Party's website and in Just Rights broadcast archives. And yet not a single voice from any other party or media raised any objections to this glaring injustice, let alone to the prohibition of freedom of association among like-minded political members of a political party. That's unbelievable. That's why I declared Ontario to be officially fascist back then, years ago. Now, coming up next are some of the reactions to Hillier's announcement and the anticipated Ontario election. On this side of our bumper, libertarian Stefanos Karatopis has heard on Kevin J. Johnson's November 12th show, while on the return side of our bumper, we'll be hearing Mark Emery in conversation with Canada Polly's Mark Paralovos, which was also posted on November 12th. So I've been going on exposing Randy Hillier, Roman Babber, and the PPC party. I know there's a plan, including Roman Babber and Randy Hillier. And I told you all that Roman Babber's bill was just a PR stunt. He's going to be creating a provincial party. And I told you that Randy Hillier is going to be creating a provincial party under the PPC, his, their banner, as the article states. Today, Randy Hillier announced he's going for the premiership of Ontario, he has a deal with Doug Ford to keep him in power, as so does Roman Babber. I've been well aware of this plan for over a year now. We gotta realize this, people. We don't have sheep just on the left. We have sheep on the right and everywhere else who are falling into these scumbags plans and what they're doing with the backroom deals. And I am aware all the time of political shenanigans and their plans to deceive people in Ontario. And there is a way that you all need to go and that's get the Libertarian Party involved because we do not stand for these mandates. We will immediately repeal Bill 195. That is the biggest scam ever, and we need to get this stuff done and get this tyrannical Marxist government out. So this is something you all need to wake up, stop being used by these career politicians such as Randy Hillier, Maxime Bernier. Guess what, people? Did you hear Maxime Bernier lost his defamation case? against Warren Kinsella. You know why he lost? Keep in mind, Bernier is supposedly a lawyer. Okay, guys? But Bernier lost on the fact because Andrew Scheer, Conservative Party, federal level, wake up again, people, hired the liberal... Kinsella to attack the PPC Bernier and he lost. Why did he lose? Because Bernier failed to show harm. That it caused harm. Now what kind of newbie loser Bernier is in order to lose because he can't prove harm. This is all PR stunts on the PPC who are endorsing Randy Hillier for the Premiership of Ontario who has a deal with Doug Ford 
to keep him in power, along with Roman Babber, wake up. Okay, I, I need to, uh, the, the audience doesn't know who Warren Kinsella is. Uh, he is a failed musician. He is, uh, he's a failed everything. But because <laughs> his views are so extremely far left, this guy is crazy. This guy is, is as radical as a left-wing nut can possibly be. If you want somebody slandered or libeled, you hire this guy. That's all this guy exists for is to slander and libel people. Every politician knows who he is. In fact, Warren Kinsella made it into my first book, Lacrosse is Dead. I explained Warren Kinsella is for hire. You can hire this guy to badmouth anybody. And he, he never sued me. You figure that he would. But because I'm telling the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, there's nothing that he can do about it. With me today is Mark Emery, former PPC candidate, uh, active. Well, I mean, there's, there are so many things that I could... I could attribute to you, sir. So thank you for taking the time out of your day to come and chat politics with me. Uh, how are you? Oh, I'm great. I've seen you on Twitter. You've been paying attention to uh, our premier problems, our, our difficulties with having anybody to vote for and, and Randy Hillier stepping up to the plate. Uh, previously, <coughs> New Blue had been kind of in the game, but not making a lot of headway. Uh, Randy Hillier made an announcement last week. You were really enthusiastic for it. Well, Randy has proven himself. That's why. Jim Carajalios, Carajalios, I guess is how you pronounce it. Um, I don't, you know, like he's even, he even gets very petty in his tweets. So anybody who's going to get petty on Twitter probably isn't going to manifest themselves as great leaders in a larger public forum. And so I'm not impressed with him. Belinda Carajalos, Carajalios is doing a good job in the parliament, but Roman Babert, Mm -hmm. is doing the best job yep. uh, leading the charge against tyranny and dictatorship, uh, certainly a dictatorship of the Ford government. But you know what? The NDP and liberals would actually be worse. This is the problem, is that they, the NDP particularly, has advocated for more vigorous vaccine mandates, yes. uh, more vigorous lockdowns, and probably more welfare to subsidize all those things. So as terrible as the Ford government has been, and I could never endorse or support them, the liberal and NDP alternatives in Ontario amazingly are worse. Yes. So we're, we're really we're really stuck because none of these renegades, uh, Randy, uh, Roman and Belinda are going to get reelected next election, whether it's New Blue, uh, the PPC party or Ontario First, as Randy is proposing. Um, you know, they're not going to get reelected. So we're going to have a, a Queen's Park that's just full of people who endorse and support dictatorship. I had a friend who was telling me that Maxime Bernier wouldn't win his seat um, after 2018 when he switched, when he was in the legislature and right. switched um, to PPC. He said he's not going to win a seat because he's not a conservative anymore. And I said, well, he's, he's got, you know, he's long in the tooth and he's got lots of history in that in that writing. I was naive. And and of course, Maxine Bernier. Well, he didn't. Win. He didn't actually do too bad. No, I, he didn't. I think do it, badly. I think he got thirty-one thousand to the other guy. The conservatives thirty-eight thousand. Well, they played um, games. They played games as well. They ran another candidate that, with the same name. And they let's did face all it. Basically, the majority of voters are very stupid and uh, ignorant and ill-informed. For example, 
What's the value of voting for a conservative MP anyway when they just have to obey the leader? You may as well elect 118 robots who do whatever Aaron O'Toole says. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm not sure he has any independence. I, I, he's a robot, too. Yeah. Like he, he, he goes with whatever the liberal government says and modifies it or tweaks it ever so slightly as if that's some significant change in policy. You know, the ordinary person in Canada is suffering egregiously, and it's all part of a plan, I believe, yep. right? It's a, it's part of the Marxist takeover that's going on now, and that I believe is too far along to really stop. So we're going to have to really suffer some kind of like Soviet-style Marxism in the next 10, 20 years before we come out of it, if we ever come out of it. Yeah. Um, and that brings us to the polit politic politics I'm involved in today, the People's Party of Canada, and hopefully Randy Hillier's Ontario first, an iffy name at best, but yeah. uh, but certainly uh, Randy has paid his dues. Uh, he worked on the campaign federally in Ontario with Max Bernier, yep. and uh, but Max Bernier, by the way, who I admire immensely, and I'm so grateful that uh, we have him as leader of the People's Party. Um, yeah, fortunately, the People's Party had some really great candidates, which mm -hmm. I really enjoyed. Yeah, running Chelsea Hillier was great. Yeah, enjoyed her, well, yeah. Uh, Mike McMullen in London West, uh, yeah. Kyle Free in London Fanshawe. I had some great running mates, um, so to speak, and I really, really missed that campaign. I enjoyed it, even the abuse. Um, <laughs> uh, that's a technique of mine, though. I like to put myself out as a lone individual, vulnerable, to bring out what people really think. Yeah. Uh, if you're a People's Party candidate, a lot of people don't even know People's Party is on the ballot. Yep. It's only our second election. So it's not necessarily something that's in their mind. They're still thinking, I mean, we're up against parties of confederation that have been around over 150 years. Yep. You don't dislodge them in one or two elections. I'm always amazed at the naivete of people who think you can win seats well, in that the first, second, or even third election. The next time People's Party runs, it won't win any seats either. Unless, well, you know, let's let's ha let's hope a little. Let's hope. <laughs> well, no, um, I don't for Ontario. But I'm not a, I don't believe in spreading false hope. I believe Fair in enough. that it's it's <laughs> worthwhile to do simply because it needs to be done, not because you're going to win. For Ontario, I think that we're in the same kind of boat because we don't we, we don't have any party like all the parties are, are legacy, and and I don't think what '95 I think was the last time that Ontario saw a different leadership, and that was that was uh, Bob Ray, so kind of NDP. A lot of that is because alternate parties just can't get it, their shit together. You've had the Ontario Libertarian Party, great ideas, but you've had them for 50 years and they go nowhere. Yep. You've had the Freedom Party for almost 40 years, they go nowhere. Mm -hmm. yeah, last election, I voted for the Trillium Party, Jack McLaren, lovely person mm -hmm. who was in the Ontario legislature and one of the first of many to get kicked out by the Conservative Party of Ontario. They were the Progressive Conservative Party. And he ran under the Trillium banner and I supported that. But they went nowhere. Uh, people don't easily migrate to a new party. That interview with Mark was actually recorded on Canada's Remembrance Day, November 11th, the very same day we aired our own Remembrance Days broadcast, spelled D-A-Z-E, addressing the formation of the Ontario First Party. Listener Trevor D. offered this feedback on that discussion. Quote, I appreciated Bob's comments on the Ontario First Party. I read Mark Emery's comments that were sent to me by him in a newsletter to PPC supporters regarding Ontario First. And Mark wrote, I know there exist parties like the Ontario Libertarian Party, the Freedom Party of Ontario, and though these parties have free market ideas after several decades of existing, it has to be conceded they are inadequate to the task of being electorally effective. 
In the most recent Ontario provincial election, I supported candidates for the Trillium Party, Ontario Libertarian Party, and Freedom Party, but they did not and cannot get the job done, he wrote. Mark has disagreements with Freedom Party, a party I support, and I agreed with Mark's quoted opinions until I listened to Bob's comments. However, I do strongly share Mark's expressed frustration, end quote. Well, what I heard from both of these speakers, Stefanos Karatopas and Mark Emery, was a lot of frustration, coupled with a complete lack of direction and focus. You know, everything that Stefanos said was basically a non-sequitur. All about the motivations of others, when that is really irrelevant to the political challenge that needs to be undertaken. We need to get this stuff done, he said, with regard to voting against Bill 195. And I'm wondering what stuff? I mean, there he was, sitting in front of a sign. He is a libertarian candidate. And his sign says, back off, government. Well, as usual, absent in his conspiracy theories is any reference to ideas or how a free society would have to be governed. Libertarians are just against government, period. And Mark Emery says that the Ontario Libertarian Party has great ideas. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so, Mark. More freedom through less government and other self-imploding manifestations of anarchy and lack of governance? No, not good ideas. Their ideas are in direct opposition to what Freedom Party stands for, and incidentally, what Ayn Rand stood for. She repeatedly had to distance herself from the libertarians and from the conservatives for plagiarizing and misrepresenting her ideas. But let's consider the summary of Marx's arguments that we just heard. He says we're up against parties of confederation that have been around for 150 years and you don't dislodge them in one or two elections. It's worthwhile to do just because it needs to be done, not because we think we're going to win. He says the politics I'm involved with today, PPC party and hopefully Randy Hillier's Ontario First Party. And he, and he, says, and he says people don't easily migrate to a new party. None of the renegades will get elected or re-elected next election. The majority of voters are very stupid, ignorant, and ill-informed. Well, if winning is not important, if political action is worthwhile because it needs to be done, and if none of the political options opposing the lockdowns will either get elected or re-elected next election, and if the majority of voters who are stupid, ignorant, and ill-informed don't easily migrate to a new party then on what possibly objective grounds can you criticize any new political party for not achieving success in a few years? You've had the Freedom Party for almost 40 years. They go nowhere, he says. Well, 40 years is a drop in the time bucket for political parties. Assuming majority governments, that would only be about eight elections or so. So, you know, maybe you should be thinking, ask not what your party can do for you, but what you can do for your party, right? Interestingly, Mark called me a few days after the last federal election to ask if I would change the name of Freedom Party to the People's Party of Ontario or something like that. So I guess a simple name change is all it would take, right? I don't know. I just don't follow that logic. And while it may be true that Ontario's alternate parties can't get their crap together, well, that certainly doesn't apply to Freedom Party. We've had our act together for many years now, and there's really nothing else for us to do except to keep our doors open for any candidate willing to represent a political party that actually puts freedom first, both in theory and in practice. 
Freedom Party has an official constitution with all the rules and regulations necessary to understand the operation of the party. I mean, that task alone took years to develop. Freedom Party has a statement of principle and a policy book. Policies which, by the way, emphasize what Freedom Party would never do, not just what we would do. We've had comprehensive platforms along with ads and all of the other political accoutrements for all of Ontario's elections since the party's founding in 1984. Freedom Party has a history of action and of success in campaigning on all kinds of issues from taxation to censorship. But as I noted in my discussion with Paul last week, winning ad hoc battles does not translate into electoral growth or success. Freedom Party has been the only Ontario party officially opposed to the lockdowns and exposing the fraudulent COVID stats from the very beginning of this political pandemic, going all the way back to March 2020. All of this is online and it is available for anyone to see. So if the only thing objectionable about Freedom Party is its unelectability, well, well, that doesn't distinguish it from any of the other alternatives Mark talked about, and it's not a criteria for picking which party to represent and support. The only commonality I see in the candidates and parties that Mark has chosen to support is that they are, or were, associated with candidates or leaders who already had a high political profile, as former representatives of other parties that were not founded on the fundamental principles of individual freedom. So right now, it looks like Mark will be putting his support behind Randy Hillier's party. Well, it's pretty clear to me several months ago that Randy Hillier was looking to lead a political party in the Ontario legislature. So to illustrate what I mean by that, I'm going to share with you part of a much longer telephone conversation I had with Randy Hillier way back on May 10. I think most of the conversation speaks for itself, but this is only the beginning of the story. How are you doing? Communism, everything else is pretty good. Yeah, tell me about it. <laughs> I, uh, I have no doubts that you share many of the same concerns that I do, Bob. <laughs> That's for sure. But I wanted to reach out and have a discussion uh, with you and Paul about the political landscape in our province and in our country these days. And it goes something like this. I think there's a significant constituency out there in the, our province and our, in our country that are mobilized and looking for a political home to oppose these lockdowns. I agree. But there isn't really a single viable um, option for them. I agree, I agree again, yes. Right. And, you know, I started up what I viewed as a nonpartisan caucus for all levels of government, for elected people, um, to coalesce around that one idea of ending the lockdowns. And that's been successful to a degree so far. Um, we've got about 60 members on that in the lockdown caucus. However, um, the, one of the unfortunate parts about politics is um, sometimes everybody wants to be the leader. <laughs> um, and that's what I'm seeing. Um, Roman is uninterested in joining that 
And this was not a parliamentary caucus. This was just to um, show people that people could work together on a, a single objective of ending the lockdowns. But Roman seems to think that he can start a party. Belinda uh, seems to think that their new party is the answer. Um, and we're seeing a, a similar uh, situation on on the federal front as well. I think there's an opportunity for all political entities uh, that oppose these lockdowns and people on the right side of the political spectrum to get together and have a discussion and see if there, if we can create a single home for people opposed to lockdowns, who by extension are people who have a greater regard and desire for freedom. Right. So that's my call out to you to see, would you be interested in having some of those discussions? Oh, absolutely. I don't know if you've uh, checked out Freedom Party's website of late, but we've been opposed to these lockdowns since day one, and I have spoken out vociferously against them since uh, this time last year. We've uh, on my own radio show, just right. I've watched a few of those shows, yeah. and, I, and I know that uh, we're uh, even without watching the shows, I would know where your heart lays. And of course, the reason Randy knows about us is because he is on Just Right's weekly email update list and is thus able to read our weekly blog posts. But it's not the first time Randy has approached me or Freedom Party. The first time was back when he was still head of the Landowners Association, and in order to get the Ontario PC Party to accept him as a candidate for his Ontario riding, he considered becoming involved with Freedom Party. And I must have spent a good two weeks or more corresponding with him and sending him all kinds of Freedom Party literature in the mail. But, no surprise, the PCs readily approved his candidacy, and the rest is now history, of course. Now, let's put the horse back in front of the cart, shall we? It begins with the voters, not with the parties, right? A couple of weeks ago, you'll recall that we took a look at the mass psychology of tyranny. We featured Dr. Matthias Desma, whose analysis of what is happening in today's political zeitgeist was both chilling and alarming. The blindness of those who cannot comprehend the tyranny that envelops them was clearly explained. And to expand on what Dr. Desma had to say on the topic, Laurel and Tyler Thompson recently featured two Canadian lawyers on her November 26th show who also found themselves forced to go down the psychological rabbit hole. James Kitchen and Catherine Kowalchuk are two lawyers uh, that take aim at the government, take aim at some of the things that are going on, and they sound the alarm that politically correct judges and our government are siding against common sense, against families, and against individuals, citizens, rightful citizens in Canada of a free society are finding the tyranny is unbelievable. One of the things I want to say, do we have to be more like lions? Absolutely. That, that's the reason why we're in this mess is, is so few of us have the courage. And it seems that typically those of us who have the most to lose have the least amount of courage, right? And that's the problem is um, our professionals have failed us. Our institutions are failing us because those people who have the most influence to speak up and they have the kind of skills that would allow them to speak up and actually change things, those are the ones who are bucking out or even actively encouraging all this. And um, so it's left to the little guys, 
like, um, you know, Pastor Pulowski, other pastors, um, regular Joes who've stepped up, uh, fringe lawyers like myself, you know, who, out, who are out on our own and not part of some big firm where, you know, we, we get to we get to have a lot of influence. Um, it's left to it's left to the likes of us because those areas of our society that we look to to protect us have utterly failed. And um, that's why you get to a situation where we're in now where our laws are merely words on paper, because in order to enforce those laws, people have to make difficult decisions. Right. So the criminal code doesn't mean anything. The charter doesn't end up meaning anything. And, and, and then we get into this state of quasi lawlessness that we are in because our rights are merely words on paper, because the people with the authority and ability to do something about it have either have either said, no, nope, I'm not risking my reputation or income or they're act actively saying, look, tyranny is good. Let's go there. I totally agree with James. Uh, yes, we have to continue, I think, to push back. But where I see we need to focus on is really focusing on what this new world looks like because we have to really be honest with ourselves that we are not going back to the old normal this is not happening we will have some sort of qr code requirement uh covid was just a cover for that in my opinion and really what they want to do is track us and uh and get that qr code in each person's hand and that will be a requirement for us going forward to access services and so when James talks about the courts are, you know, part of this, I wholeheartedly agree, which is part of the reason why I'm suing the courts. And really the message about that case is highlighting for all Canadians that we cannot rely on the courts. Our legislative, executive and judicial branch have failed us. They failed to do a section one analysis right at the beginning of these emergency measures and which would have required a, an extensive cost-benefit analysis with respect to the lockdowns and all the other measures that have come into play. We have governments such as Jason Kenney uh, not implementing a vaccine requirement, but encouraging those private institutions to do so and in delegating that, that tyrannical mandate. And people are more than happy to ob oblige him. I mean, in the city of Calgary and the city of Edmonton have voted to have a mask main mandate with no sunset clause or review period. We're going to be muzzled forever, potentially. James, do you think that we're going to get to this place where like even further restrictions on the unvaccinated are going to come to pass? I think it's likely, um, you know, it, it is possible that that science and truth and logic and reason will prevail. But I think it unlikely. It's 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 usually it's usually not that way, unfortunately, um, unless unless there's enough power uh, behind the truth, reason, logic, etc. Um, because unfortunately, a lot of it really does come down to power. That's what history shows, right? Um, why why did the the forces of good, if if we want to call them that, and I tend to, uh, in World War II beat the forces of evil? Uh, because in the end, they had more power behind them. Um, you know, it, it wasn't about did did, did uh, the Americans and the Brits convince um, Germany it was a bad idea to to be totalitarian and take over the world and, and to kill Jews? No, they beat them in a war, uh, in a bloody war where millions of people died. Um, so I, I I like to hope that we're going to win this through simple persuasion and, and, and science and truth and logic. Um, but I don't think that's likely. I think if we get out of this, it's because, like I've always said, enough people 
just say enough is enough. I realize now that the courts aren't going to save us. The lawyers aren't going to save us. Nobody else is going to save me. Me and all my regular Joe neighbors are going to have to get up, stand up and save ourselves. It's going to come. It's going to come to that eventually. It just it just it will. When you when you keep telling somebody, stop violating my rights, please acknowledge the truth. Please follow what, what what is reasonable. And they don't listen month after month after month, and they just keep encroaching on your life until you have nothing left. Eventually, what's going to happen? It's going to it's going to come to blows, right? So I think that I think that could happen. I don't know if we're quite there yet. This is how it works. This is history repeating itself. It doesn't always look exactly the same, which is part of the reason why history repeats itself because we don't see it in the moment for what it is. I mean, you know, how how far is it from not being able to go into a restaurant? to not being able to shop at the grocery store, to not being able to, you know, renew your license to drive your vehicle. Um, yeah, I mean, how far is it? It's not it's not that far, one thing from the other. It's the same as everything else when it comes to boiling the frog. You know, if if you can, you, you, you acclimatize and you acquiesce to the loss of some liberty, say, I can put up with this, I can live with this, and they just keep doing it, right? And people just keep just keep acclimatizing to it. We, we're not seeing riots in the streets about the fact that some people can't, eat in a restaurant, which, I mean, I think that's, maybe that's a problem, right? Because if some people can't eat in a restaurant, we have a problem here. You we know, have a problem. we used to have riots. About that. Yeah, we used to have riots about that kind of discrimination. We're not right now, which means we're putting up with it. Well, yeah. if we put up with that, how much more are we going to put up with? Yeah, in a few more months, we start to see further restrictions to the point that it's not just a mere inconvenience that you can't go to the restaurant. It now becomes really serious. Like now I'm not allowed to drive because I don't have a vaccine, right? You know, that's that's more serious. This is crazy. Where are we headed with this kind of acquiescing, Catherine? Um, well, we're heading into um, very uncomfortable times. It, it is disturbing when uh, people are quite happy to not serve an unvaccinated person and they are quite happy to fire somebody who doesn't want to disclose their status. And then we have our politicians like Jason Kenney who is saying that this is a pandemic of the unvaccinated inciting hatred amongst um, this group. And we have to keep talking about it and we have to keep pushing back and so our society has become completely ridiculous in terms of their fear around death. And what we should be spending more time focused on is not when and how we die, but how it is that we are going to live. What kind of world do we want to live in? We need um, to take over the media. We need to completely turn off that TV and, and become willing to look at shows like yourself that, that, that you produce, Laurelyn, and others, there's uh, so much great content out there. People, they're so fearful. They don't know the truth. And, but are they fearful? I, I think that there's a small portion of the population that are fearful. They really believe that they are going to get harmed. But I think that the majority of people, and I, we call them at Lawyers for Truth GATKAs, the go along to get along. You know, the go along to get along, we'll put on <laughs> the mask so they along. they can so they can get their stuff at the grocery store. They will, you know, do what you know, do what they need to do. It's just a mask and all this stuff. And we said from the beginning, the go along to get along are gonna be the downfall because it's the majority of the population that really have no desire 
to consider the long-term effects of this and to consider the world that they want their children to live in. Do they really want their children to have a vaccine passport for the rest of their life? They think naively that the government is going to relinquish this power. They are wrong. The yeah. government will not relinquish this, this power and they don't want to because that's not part of their plan. Their plan, very clearly, um, the Canadian government is already working on um, coordinating the digital currency efforts. We know this, it's in their government documents. We know that our membership affiliation with organizations like the World Health Organization and the UN are, and the International Monetary Fund and all of these groups, they are going to a digital currency and the digital currency is about social credit. If we have to have a QR code right now to get into a restaurant or to get into my son's soccer game tomorrow at the Calgary Soccer Center, why won't they consider that it's not a stretch that they will and can deny entry anywhere at any time for any arbitrary reason they wish? Put this to you, James. Maybe is it because it doesn't quite affect them yet? I don't know. There's some people I think tyranny can slap them in the face and, and they'll just think it's the wind. Uh, they're just they're just blind, they're willfully blind. I don't know. In denial. I, I don't know. I don't know what it is psychologically. And, and on that point, I want, I want to make an important point about this to, to, to people who are not completely immune to reason. Um, even if you, you, you aren't a hardcore, um, you know, opposed to getting the vaccine, uh, opposed to the mandate, one thing you need to see is this, is this pitting of, of people against each other. Because this is a really common historical uh, um, tactic for governments. They pit people against each other uh, to distract from the government's encroachment on the liberties, the government's coalescing of power onto themselves, right? Because if the people are divided and fighting amongst themselves, they can't unite and fight against the government. It's really simple. And then it's, it's used quite often. It's quite easy to see when that's going on. So right now you have unvaccinated pitted against vaccinated. And, and, a, and a lot of the vaccinated are stupid enough to think that the loss of freedom is to blame on the unvaccinated, as if it's not to blame on the government. And again, I don't know how thinking adults come to this conclusion, but it, it you know, stop and think for a minute. Who has taken away the liberty, right? Well, it's the governments. Well, the, the governments have said, well, we've taken it away because of the unvaccinated, but, but stop and think about that for a minute. You're being played. The, the government is the fault for taking away their freedoms. They're the ones who've done it. They've given you an excuse and you've stupidly fallen for it. Like some, like some babe amongst wolves, grow up, Stop and think for a minute about what the government is doing and how they're playing you. Because if you're blaming the unvaccinated for the, for the lack of freedom, you're totally missing the point of the story. You're listening to Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. And as a homemade illustration of someone who's missing the whole story, here's a letter to the editor of London Free Press on November 28th with the heading Tougher Penalties for Anti-Vaxxers, written by BP of London, Ontario. And he or she writes, quote, Anti-vaxxers are taking away the rights of the vaccinated. There needs to be tougher consequences for the unvaccinated. Perhaps a loss of jobs and jail time, end quote. You know, I really have to ask myself what kind of people are capable of writing this kind of stuff. This is exactly the kind of irrationality we were citing out of the newspaper editorial pages a few weeks back. It is metaphysically not possible for my being unvaccinated to be the cause of anyone's rights being taken away. 
Only government is capable of doing that. One would think that a person fearing the unvaccinated would be more concerned about their health, but that was not the case with COVID or with the complaints these people are bringing forth. They're all concerned about their freedom. And because the people are taking away their freedom, have told them they would get their freedom back if other people got vaccinated. So this isn't even about health. Having a right, by the way, means having a choice. A choice to say yes or no to any given proposition or option. That's what having a right is all about. Freedom of choice. It is the letter writer, BP, who is advocating taking away the rights of the unvaxxed. I have never yet heard of anyone labeled anti-vaxxer ever insist that others should not be allowed to choose to get vaccinated. Never. That shoe is only on the left foot of the pro-vaxxers, who insist on forcing their choice to get vaxxed onto others. Pure hypocrisy, pure selfishness and disregard for the rights of others. If it's your rights you want back, stop voting for the people who are taking them away from you, for God's sake. Just unbelievable, but that's what we're up against. Now, up next, a powerful lesson on the power of epistemology and the proper definition of words and concepts. Here's a guy I really like. This guy lets her rip. And basically, he's asking the question, at what point do we say enough is enough? You can't force people to take an injection whether you think it's right or not. You cannot do it. At what point is enough enough this is british television show host majid nawaz unless you want to change the definition of language what my concern is mandates and i wholeheartedly support all those people who are protesting against mandates now, if you want to change the defini definition of language and call me an anti-vaxxer as a result then you are fulfilling everything the orwell warned against in 1984. you are fulfilling everything aldous huxley warned against in Brave New World, because you change language so that you can, uh, you can destroy one's understanding of truth and make everything morally relative, where nothing has meaning anymore and therefore anything can be asserted. But think about this. In a world where nothing has meaning anymore because you change the definition of language, anything is possible, but only for those who have power. If nothing's real, if there's no truth, if there's no truth, then whoever has power can define reality, and that's called tyranny. The only thing that resists tyranny is if you hold on to the truth. In a democracy, the one thing that is not subject to majority whim is truth. Now, you've got a situation which we pay lip service to all the time. We study this in school, people. Please understand me. I'm trying to show you all love here not hate. We study this in school and we talk about Chamberlain and appeasement and we ask how did people sleepwalk towards tyranny? Hannah Arendt, a great philosopher, made it her life's passion to understand how totalitarian arose, has even written a book on totalitarianism explaining it and explained what the banality of evil means and that is the word banal is just commonplace because people were sleepwalking towards it because it was done incrementally, inch by inch, like the proverbial frog that is boiled in water whose skin temperature changes with the water and doesn't realise it's being boiled alive. And that's why I'm asking you, at what point do you realise you're being boiled alive as that proverbial frog? 
Austria has announced a lockdown for the unvaccinated and then announced mandatory vaccinations for every single citizen. So now they're saying they want to force people with injections. At what point does this cross your red line? And do you believe me when we start saying this is tyranny? I'm not talking about vaccination. I'm talking about mandates. I'm trying to keep my voice steady and low so that nobody accuses me of inciting, of being angry. I am urgently trying to have you people listening hear me. Please understand, I know tyranny. I have been jabbed against my will in prison. I am trying to defend your civil liberties and I see them being snatched from you and you're being told it's good for you. I promise you, when your civil liberties are taken from you, you will never be told that it's bad for you. Think about it. If you were the dictator or tyrant or politician seeking to take people's civil liberties, you would not lead by, I know this is bad for you, but I'm going to do it because I want power. It is always sold to you as it's good for you and that you know best and you're doing the right thing because the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And disease control is one of the best ways to make you believe you're doing right by taking people's civil liberties. It's been done before. It's tried and tested. People will never commit atrocities unless they believe they are acting righteously. And just study Hannah Arendt. Study the rise of totalitarianism. Look at the ver uh, banality of evil and understand this is how it happens. At what point do we cross your red line? And at what point do we say enough is enough? You can't force people to take an injection whether or not you think it's the right thing to do or not. I don't know what else to do except sit here every day and sound my alarm like you guys are doing. I think what you're doing is absolutely perfect. I don't know if you're familiar, you probably are with Dr. Matthias Desmet, a psychologist. He talks about this notion of uh, mass formation and to provide some context, uh, it, why we're in this, like how did we get here? And what he says makes a lot of sense. And while I agree that we should study the rise of totalitarianism, unless we also study the nature of individual freedom and why its existence depends on truth, then we risk running from one tyranny to the next. Which brings us back to our opening theme and commentary. Until a sufficient percentage of the voters want freedom, no party for freedom will succeed. It starts not with the party, but with the voter. So whatever brand of parties for freedom may arise today or in the future, remember, just as you can lead a horse to water and you can't make him drink, you can lead the voters to the ballot box, but you can't make them think. So think about that while you're waiting to join us again next week when we will continue our journey in the right direction. And until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see you then. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. Now, Jehovah is another example of German ingenuity, a replica of the controls of a Heinkel bomber. Now the pilot moves the controls. You can go up, down, or to the side. But Colonel Klink, this is a German instrument panel. It's an unfair test.
Naturally, the German pilots are going to look better. Naturally? You mean... The aim of a research project, my dear Hogan, is not to discover new facts. We already know the Luftwaffe personnel are superior. Here we are merely furnishing scientific proof. You know, every time I come face to face with this cruel German cunning, I always wonder why my side is winning. 